0: Welcome to startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies. Today, I do have another interview in our partnership series with Munich Startups. I would like to welcome Heidi now in the person of Andreas. Hey, Andreas, hi are you doing?
1: Hi, Joe. I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: It's totally my pleasure. And we may tell our audience that this is almost a running gag because, uh, we've been, we've been talking about this interview since I do believe January and you always said, ah, oh, there's something upcoming. Ah, oh, there's another thing upcoming. And it turns out it was your acquisition of Arid Next, which was announced this week. We're recording this on July 1st and this will be published pretty soon. And we, the first like, Outlet you ever talk to about it. Really excited about that. And let's get ready. So I've, I've been looking at your, uh, LinkedIn profile as many other people do. And I realized you studied in Munich and then you went on to work with Bertelsmann, which would mean nothing for people living outside of Germany, but they may know one of the properties the bmg music label bertelsmann music group which is one of the very large music labels globally what did you do there and how did you like it because i've seen you work directly for the ceo there
1: yeah i think um it's a it's a very very interesting subject right uh, bertelsmann as you rightly said will probably not tell people too much uh, people outside the outside germany um they're known for their typically for their media brands like bmg uh, for people in the startup world or scale-up world, they will also uh, recognize probably their investment activities. Uh, there's a large Bertelsmann fund out there that's investing later stage, growth stage. Uh, when I joined, this was like the early days of the internet. It was in uh, 1999. At the time, um, uh, Bertelsmann was, quite actually, uh, was actually quite active with um, AOL in the US. They brought AOL Europe to Europe together um and there were i think at the time a few hundred ventures that Bertelsmann had founded um, over a period of a few years i was working in one of these ventures i was actually not working um, with the then ceo i was working in one of these ventures and with the ceo of that venture the venture was called mediaways um and it was um, an infrastructure provider so um a uh, b2b business again i shall say a b2b business providing internet infrastructure to media companies digital media companies mainly Um, services included at the time internet access so it was still the days when boris becker was actually proud to be online right Um, um, so um, connecting to the internet at that uh, in these days was something that people got excited about we provided hosting services to a number of digital players and over time then developed the portfolio from basic narrowband internet to broadband, voice of IP services, and ended up building one of the largest wholesale platforms in Germany for broadband access and voice of IP services.
0: I uh, vividly remember this time because there have been a lot of AOL CDs around where you could install the software and then you had to have this dial up connection really go- went through the full line. and then when it when it quite down you actually had a connection and it was so incredibly slow compared to today but it was also my personal first access to the internet. So uh, I, I think I still have one or two AOL CDs around here. <laughs> um And uh, I, I assume this was an exciting time, but nonetheless, you left to co-found a startup in Berlin and San Francisco. And let us tell talk a little bit more about this, because that startup is called Fiber. It's helping app, businesses to grow revenue they say and it's still around so let's talk just a little bit more about them what 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 did what did actually drive you to go from uh the ceo of Telefonica here in germany which was a intermediate step to to start a startup what what, what, what was driving you there
1: I was actually uh, part of. I was leading the German fixed net activities of Telefonica for a couple of years, and then we ended up uh, rolling the fixed net business into O2 as as part of a larger deal um, of the the Telefonica group level. And for my personal taste, it was a great time. It was super exciting, a very steep learning curve um, over a couple of years. But it also, at the end, got probably too corporate for me, um, I want to, you know, prefer to be back to, to, you know, something more entrepreneurial and then spent a couple of months working on different ideas and got in touch um, with, a, with a group of entrepreneurs from Berlin, um, Team Europe at the time. And then we, you know, we looked at uh, together the a few opportunities and Fiber emerged as one one of, um, let's say, the most appealing ones. So uh, between Janis Zech, Jan Beckers and myself, we co-founded a company, kicked it off Um, The beginning as as an ad tech company focused on the European market then quickly realized that actually 70% of the market volume um, is in the U.S. So with a pure European focus, we would have been, let's say, irrelevant by definition. So um, after one year, we already um, started branching out into the U.S., um, built the business there, um, and um, after two years, uh, already had a company that, that was active in I think um, 20 markets, including the US. Scaled the business from there, and um, I think later 2013, I also went to the US. Uh, spent let's say the second half of my tenure at the at Fiber um, in San Francisco, running the the US side of of uh, the business sold it um, in 2014 and then for the new owners still um, did quite a bit of m&a activity and if you look at fiber today i think um, they just uh, signed a deal a couple of months ago um acquisition um from um by by digital turbine now valued at 600 million dollars so um, the business has grown to substantial substantial scale as you have in two in the in the ad tech space um, it's it's a, it's a market for few players um, of very critical scale. So great for them to, uh, to still be around. Um, and I'm very happy and proud that the company still exists and, and, uh, and prospers.
0: When you're in San Francisco, do you still stop by for coffee?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not not that that often, uh, obviously in the last eighteen months, given everything uh, that's going on in the world. But um, <laughs> yeah, of course, uh, um, when I'm there, I definitely definitely um, uh, would stop by um, and and say hello. Um, I actually uh, just checked a few weeks ago, and, and many of my, my colleagues from uh, from the, the days are still around.
0: Hmm. I've I've also seen that you are a board partner of point nine capital which is a venture capital uh uh venture capital fund here um and um i, I was wondering first what is a board partner and secondly what do you do with those guys
1: so point 9 is 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 known as one of the the leading uh, early stage funds uh, in europe the strong focus on marketplaces and SaaS, uh, but also let's say some 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 outliers uh, here and there. Um, I I go back with with Pavel and Christoph almost ten years now, um, or more than ten years actually. Um, and um, they they structured in a way that they have the core team, the investment team, as every fund has. Um, they have quite a quite an impressive number of companies they've invested in, and they're looking for support on two sides of the business. One the venture uh, the, let's say the deal origination side, so new deal bringing new deals to the fund and then also um, um, on the on the other side of the business where you when you're invested companies developing and tracking over time, but you need people to work with the founders with the management team um, help them to to maneuver day to day challenges, scaling the organization. Preparing and taking strategic decisions. That's why I'm I'm playing a role. I'm not so much on the on the uh, origination side. I'm working with existing portfolio companies, helping, uh, coaching um, the, the the founders uh, where appropriate. Um, also taking board seats and board roles um, when there's a good fit. And um, it's actually quite an exciting job um, because it's um, it's a nice it's a nice counter balance to the, to the day-to-day CEO job where you're responsible for all the operations. Very nice to to work with entrepreneurs and just provide them with the advice and additional views on, on, on their businesses.
0: I, when you've been talking about that, I was wondering how you arrange all those responsibilities because everybody can tell to lead a company is already quite exhausting and then you add another layer of duties on top of that. How how do you manage your time that you can actually achieve both to a satisfying degree?
1: So so from a very practical point of view, several of my companies uh, uh, I work with on the Point9 side are based uh, in the US or in Canada. So uh, by definition, these calls are in the evenings. Um, it, makes it, it makes it easier. Um, then also from, you know, if you just look at it from... A, from a time commitment as a, as a board partner, as I said, I'm not responsible for the business. I'm not, I'm not spending hours and hours uh, a week um, on individual companies. So I have my check-ins with the, with the founders. Um, they reach out to me when, when, when they have specific topics to discuss and we spend a little bit more time. Um, I attend the board meetings, um, typically I try to, to arrange them outside my, my, uh, let's say my, my schedule here at ID now. Um, it's something that, I Enjoy doing, right? I mean, it's it's not not something I have to give up my my free time and doing. I enjoy working with entrepreneurs. I enjoy uh, working with young startups. So so it's 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 a good it's a it's a good uh, almost a pastime.
0: I see, 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 see. Um, it, 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 I would like to add that a lot of young entrepreneurs and even older entrepreneurs. Uh, really profit from coaching when I look back in what I tried in my first business venture. It's now forehead slapping stupid. And I wish I had somebody back in the days to, uh, w- who would have told me about that. So, uh, don't discard any advice instantly, guys. Um, and he, you're personally active, uh, with, uh, with uh, Scala Ventures. I assume it's your own, uh, investment vehicle.
1: Yeah, it's my own investment vehicle. Um, um, I've I've started uh, doing angel investments in 2010, um, early days of Fiber, um, been a more uh, regular investor, a more active investor since 2014, Um, but the most active uh, certainly after my days at Fiber. um, This is something I'm very selective uh, these days simply because I don't have the time to, to really look at deals in detail, when I look at stuff, it's typically typically ideas, topics, teams that are somehow in my wheelhouse. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying to be very selective. FinTech is one of them. Um, I would say, I'm um, uh, RegTech is certainly another one where where I'm close and I feel like like um, I can contribute immediately. I also have some some unfair advantage in the sense that I know the industry a little bit better, right? So, so, but I don't, I don't look at, I don't, I don't look at, at let's say, all opportunities in full breadth simply because I don't, for that, I don't have the time. Yeah, The, the, the board partner role can be fitted in quite nicely and neatly into the day-to-day day, day schedule, but but the angel investments, I need to be very selective these days.
0: Hmm. I see, see, see. Um, uh, it, it, it... People people may already wondering, hey, guys, you're now talking for more than 10 minutes and we didn't touch ID now yet, but this is the point. We can't do it. Um, you, you are a rarity here on the channel because you are the CEO of a startup. This is not rare by itself, but you are not of the founders. How did this happen and uh, why did you take the job? Can Can you take us a little bit through the journey, how you got hired for ID now?
1: I'm actually an angel investor I have been an angel investor in ID now since 2014. So I've followed the company for several years before I joined as a CEO. I also go back uh, with, with Felix and some of the founders uh, for almost 10 years now. Felix has been an early investor in fiber. So this is how we uh, established uh, the initial connection. And then um, after my return from the US, um, I. I ended up working with felix and, and the board on on an accelerated growth strategy at the time as an advisor really um and i think um kind of for whatever reason, the board felt like this might be a good idea if if we if we embarked this journey together and then the the let's say the conversations developed from there quite frankly before we had started the conversation i was I'm not going to take an operational role as a CEO again. Um, (laughs) We had the conversations. I really, I really like the team. I like the opportunity. Um, I'm I'm excited about the topic of digital identities, um, uh, the the potential that this has uh, for changing, you know, um, user behavior, user market, convenience, but also just uh, you know making the connected world a safer place. As as, is one of our um, uh, key. statements here at id now so um things came together and, and within four weeks we were like yeah okay this is this, an exciting plan it's an exciting space it's uh, potentially a good fit and given the fact that i'm still around to more than two years later it probably wasn't too bad so um a lot of good stuff good stuff happening and i'm enjoying the ride
0: Yeah, I think so. Especially those challenging times during Corona. But I would assume since we already had uh, one of your competitors in the interview, they told us about an uptick in activity because everything, almost everything had to be done remotely, which I do believe was also a boost to the business of ID now. But can you take us a little bit around the the, the the founding story and how the company developed until your two uh, acquisitions this year?
1: Adina was founded around, uh, let's say, the, when, when for the first time a digital onboarding process was uh, allowed under German regulation, allowed by uh, uh, BaFin. Um, At the time, the product was called Videodent. Uh, So so it was the first time that you as a bank, as a financial services institution, you could verify the identity of a user um, remotely. That's how the the company was starting was really at the time um, a point solution. And there was only one product uh, uh, that would would uh, uh, be you know uh, let's say would have been approved by Bafin, which was a videoden product and um, the very few companies in the German market who would provide uh, that service that product and that's how Heidi now grew over a couple of years with a very strong focus on financial services because financial services would have been at the center of anti money laundering regulation and then over the years with the Digital identity or um identity verification becoming more ubiquitous um, also you know when we when we sat down in in 2018 late 2018 and discussing uh, accelerated growth strategy, we looked at how can we take this further right and how can we take this further is number one, build something more automated than video at the time and get that approved by regulators in Germany and elsewhere. Secondly, look at, you know, if in particular where, where elsewhere means like other geographies, so other, other countries in other jurisdictions in which we can sell our services. Um, so we started building out a UK team. We have now a small team in Middle East. Uh, we are doing actually quite a bit of business in Central Eastern Europe um and now uh, with the recent acquisition also you know we have a presence in france and uh, from there i would expect us to 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 take a, a you know also a step at the the spanish market um the third piece was product um you know, the automated product was the first derivative really of the video ident uh, product that has taken the company so far but if you look at identity verification needs today then really our customers don't necessarily ask us for a video dent or a autoident product anymore. They have a certain set of needs in the re- uh, with regards to identity verification and they're looking for a partner who caters to these needs you know as a as a as a platform and not so much as a point solution for video dent or a point solution for EID. so today what i d now is offering is the whole suite of products. You know, from videodent to dent to e i d to bankerden in the in the in the coming months so all of that all of that coming from a single platform single api and as an enterprise customer i'm just integrating with the service and then I can pick and choose which products to use you know depending on the on the use case depending on the jurisdiction
0: we may put this a little bit in perspective when we just been talking about, because I vividly remember when I was uh, registering f- online for my first online brokerage account in the early, uh, in the late 1990s, during the dot com boom there, um, you had basically to get a paper-based letter from the online bank. You had to go to the post office at the counter, show your ID. They would fill it out put official stamps on it and then put it in the envelope and straight send it to the online bank and that was the only way you could for quite some time validly open in germany online accounts of any way so that was basically at one at one point the technicality of it and then uh online identification started i do believe there was some questions at the beginning and the you said Bafin, it's the oversight body in Germany, uh, was not too happy with online identification, but at one point they just had to move with the time and they were satisfied with what was offered. And ever since you can make identifications online, I do believe it was, it was quite good that it could do online identifications in the time of Corona to really minimize the contacts there. And, um, as you said, basically uh, a customer approaches you and says, "Okay, I got trouble with the identification, or I need identification. Can you do that for me?" And basically, you say yes across all channels.
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much like you said. If you look at if you look back twenty years, it took days to get uh, your identity verified with video. it was down to ten minutes, and with the new uh, products, you know, depends depending on uh, the the level of approval. Um, you'd be down to half a minute or sometimes even just seconds. And I think that's a huge, huge benefit for the user. Um, But it's also most importantly for the enterprise customer who typically would have to foot the bill for the verification. You know, it it lowers the cost uh, significantly and it improves the conversion rate because the user would have to wait for a couple of days for the letter to make it to the bank. There's a risk of them just not completing the process if they have to wait uh, uh for the video uh, i didn't call or spend 10 minutes in a call um higher risk of of just dropping out from the call if it's uh, like you know working like a charm in 30 seconds uh you would expect the highest conversion rates and i think that's that's where the industry is headed that's where we are headed and we're happy to lead the charge here
0: yes and uh just Adding to what you said, taking days, sometimes it could take weeks because you had to arrange your personal schedule with the opening hours of the local post office, which may or may not have been uh, pretty good because I remember from the place where I grew up, basically they were only open at one or two times in the afternoon because the person working there was also tasked to bring all the letters to to the recipient. So basically he was on his mailing road uh, route Almost throughout the day, and then two week, two days in the week in the afternoon, he or she could make office hours. So I I remember it took quite some time until until I could arrange myself. But we're now in the technological world, and um, I've did some research, and amongst your clients, there's uh some companies our audience may know, like N26. Sixth, the car rental company, Western Union, most people will know it, Solaris Bank, we frequently talk about them in our startup news, WeFox, Tier Mobility, so actually, I'm a client of Tier Mobility, so I used your identification solution without noticing it, right? Yes. <laughs> okay and and commerce bank which is a large commercial bank here in Germany and um you, you already have some big clients there uh but nonetheless you you started um acquisitions um uh Ari, 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 Ariad next uh Ariad next is your second acquisition this year already and it's a french online ID company, uh, amongst his clients, they have Societe Generale. It's a, it's a large bank in France and United Credit. This is already your second acquisition this year. And my understanding is you get the money from a P- PE player, private equity player, Corsair. Um, and do you think this is the way forward for companies? In Europe for tech companies, first to get the money to acquire competitors and build critical mass instead going for an IPO as fast as possible?
1: Oh, well, that's a, a number of questions in one question. So,
0: <laughs> yes, I like to do that.
1: Just <laughs> to, to, to start with. So, so the acquisition of Ariadnext and Identity TM, there were actually two very different uh, uh, transactions. Um, if I go back to what I said earlier, there were like three dimensions of growth that we had identified for IDNOW in 2019, geo, vertical, and product. And um, the Identity TM transaction was really doubling down here in Germany on, on uh, let's say, the, the vertical dimension. So we've been strong in financial services, we're strong in mobility, uh, we're strong in a few other sectors, including sports betting. Identity ETM has had a strong heritage in the telco market. So we're adding telco as an important vertical here to ID now Group. Um, next is slightly different. Next has, uh, has, if you look at the, the industries, the vertical markets that they go after, they're like literally 90% the same than what we do. Yeah. So um, the, there the case was really, um, they're strong in the French market. Typically the business that we are in is a business that is, Strongly influenced by domestic regulation, still certainly in the in the anti money laundering environment, and um, hard to break into a market as a as a, a new entrant um, coming 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 from a different jurisdiction. So um, there, it was number one about the ge- uh, geographical market of France, and uh, secondly, given the just the structure and and the level of maturity of the French market the ecosystem there had developed slightly differently. So what they are offering is a, is a fully automated product suite. Banks are still providing part of the services that in Germany we would do as ID now, Banks do themselves in France. So what we ended up with is, is number one, a strong footprint in France, but also secondly, a product suite that's that's highly complementing what we have developed for the German market. So it's slightly different. Um, in both cases, what's uh, very similar is we keep uh, the, the entrepreneurs on board and keep them motivated and engaged in the, the combined company, um, try to combine their entrepreneurial spirit with, with uh, let's say, some, some safe pairs of hands that we've um, um, brought in uh, on the IDNOW side and together develop a business that has the potential to be the market leader in Europe. Um, so to your question, is that the new strategy or the dominant strategy versus heading for an IPO directly? I would argue it's not the one or the other, right? If you're, if you're uh, in the food delivery business, you can well, you can well build your, your business organically, even though if you look at Delivery Hero, they've also done a lot of M&A under, <laughs> on the way. But, but maybe as a FinTech, FinTech, you can, you can, you can build your own business and, and still head towards uh, the fastest possible IPO. Our market is slightly different. It's very fragmented. It's very much influenced and sometimes even driven by regulation. Regulation is different uh, market by market. And in a way, it's also different vertical market by vertical market. So M&A can be a means to an end in that regard. So we I don't think we're going to focus exclusively on... M&A as a as a way to grow the business going forward. We're grow, uh, growing organically 60 percent year over year right now. So um, M&A is is kind of supplementing that growth. Um, we're adding we're adding new geographies, new product features. But um, the, our predominant way of growing going forward will be organically, and then we sprinkle uh, we sprinkle in the the occasional M&A. When happens, um, can it be a good strategy? I think it can. There's a number of players out there who've demonstrated that. Um, but but I think it's important that you don't only focus on M&A, but you have also healthy business underneath that, that's growing year over year over year.
0: We may add for the people who have never been in a post merger integration that can basically make you lose all your hair because you have different teams, different culture, plus in best cases, completely different IT infrastructure. So you have to make a lot of decisions to actually end up sometimes a few years, sometimes even decades later with one uh, unified company if you do the right steps along the way. And there's uh, a lot of very large mergers uh, that just basically went wrong. I assume you already had a plan how to integrate uh Ariadnext and um identity TM in your infrastructure, in your processes before you actually um bought them, right?
1: I would I would uh, describe it as we have we have a plan and um say we with identity TM, we're now four months into the integration. We just discussed last night that we actually aim um to conclude most of the integration work streams and efforts by the end of this year. So we're not talking decades here, we're talking less than a year as a goal. Um there will still be some some um, parts of the infrastructure that will probably continue to run for a while, but 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 there I would think that we're um, on a pretty good on a pretty good uh, track. Um, it's also somewhat a more natural fit because we're both in the same uh, geographic market we're addressing uh, uh, similar similar verticals and working with a similar products. Um, in France it's definitely going to be slightly different uh, there's more cultural uh, difference, there is there is a perception of um, Ariadnext in the market so um, we have a plan there as well to integrate the two companies, um, we have um, already defined the roles and responsibilities also for their founders um, so that's that's all that's all um, happening. Um, we have a pretty good understanding of the product the the client base um, and and have a vision for the for the joint product portfolio um, but the real really detailed post merger integration plan will only put together will only be put together um, let's say now in the coming weeks and months after the closing mm-hmm. but again, I think the, I that's going back to my earlier one just a, just a small comment on that. Going to back to my earlier point, that's why it's important for us to to buy businesses that are healthy and growing organically. We don't we we're certainly not gonna wait for decades for the integration, but whether we kick off the integration next month or a month later really shouldn't make that much of a difference for as long as the underlying business is healthy. The right people are still in charge and growing that business, and then and then uh, we can take a focused but not a rushed approach towards um, uh, integration.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. I think there your business is a little bit different from where I've been working in financial services and post merger integrations because they're the infrastructure or the IT. It really costs a hell of a lot of money. And, but if, if, uh, I read next is profitable by itself, I do understand that you can uh, keep them running quite for a bit. Um, you already talked a lot about the question I would like to ask now. Um, the, 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 the strategy behind the business. So you talked about virtual verticals, that means industries, for example, gambling, financial services, um, healthcare services online, yada, 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 and the other geography, which just means countries. Yeah. As you said, everything is uh, regulated on a national level. For some financial services stuff, it's regulated across Europe, but never ever forget the taxes. <laughs> the, the, they can really throw a stone or two in, in your cock wheels. Um, but, um, the, 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 the question I had was uh, you, you kind of circumvented it a little bit. If this would be a valid strategy for many European startups, you see out there first to, to do a little bit M and A activity across Europe before they really go into the global market. To- totally understanding here that your business is nationally regulated and basically there's not like a big incentive like building a platform like many international players are doing it because you would not be able to use it in many different countries at the same time in exactly the right setup
1: i think it can i think it can be a valid strategy absolutely yes but as as with organic growth and product-led growth you it's to be executed well, right? It's not something you do the one or the other and, and you know, the M&A is the easier way. I mean, you, uh, M&A is, is about post-merger integration, but M A is also about you know, even getting a deal to, to bringing a deal to a level where you can, can potentially close it, uh, get, get the financing for it, uh, uh, need to get the pricing right, need um, to provide the right incentive. So it's about execution. If, if, um in certain industries i think it can be a fast track to growth um and and potential ipo can be one outcome uh, but but at the end ipo is also you know another transaction whether that's a trade sale or an ipo or another financing round is it's it's one step along the way of the company and the question is how do you get on the growth trajectory and if you can grow organically it's probably easier from a from a change management point of view Um, In certain industries, it can make totally sense to to, uh, uh, bring together a number of of assets um, and and build one player of critical scale. And and by doing so, also putting some distance between you as an industry leader and some of the rest of the market.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, talking about IPO, I vividly remember uh, the German business newspaper Handelsblatt talking about entrepreneurs being flooded with SPAC offers. Does it also hold true for you? You guys get like regular uh, calls, hey, this is an investment bank XY, are you interested to be acquired by SPAC?
1: Yeah, I mean of course uh we, we are we're in that market. We're uh, one one of the companies um of of it's a reasonable scale um which is required to to make the spec transaction um successful. So definitely um we get inbound interest. Uh for us right now we have a we have a shareholder structure that allows us to do what we are what we're doing well. Um and um, I think beyond that we there's nothing nothing I can share here other than yes, there's inbound interest and and um the market for specs has been around for a while. It's probably never been hotter than in the last 12 months. So definitely an interesting one to watch and, and an interesting way of, of getting to a public listing. Um yeah, but nothing 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 more to, to say, you know, from the IDNR perspective at this point. <laughs>
0: translates for our audience into you get specs calls, but you don't uh, tell everybody just disappear. Basically, you're still evaluating the options. Okay, I get that. Um, um We are already running a little bit longer than uh, our normal interviews, which I usually do with more experienced entrepreneurs because we have a uh, lot to talk about. But um, getting now a little bit to the end of our interview, uh I would like to ask you one question. What would be the key takeaways a listener or viewer should take away from our interview here?
1: That's a very good question. And depending obviously on the audience, I think um as is you know typically what I would expect most of the audience uh, here to to look at is is younger stage companies. I think um what you can take away is is, um, can the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey can still be quite exciting when you're running a scale up? ID now is, is now eight years old. Um, Fiber, when I founded it, uh, co-founded it in 2009. Uh, now is is uh, uh, 12 years old and still growing fast and tracking. So um, I think it, it's really down to the to the entrepreneur to grow with the business. Never stop learning. Never stop aspiring. Um, and yeah, enjoy enjoy the right, valid lasts, and 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 let's say never you know never reach for the whatever. Never never settle for for the let's say the the short. The short-term uh, outcome, and rather, if you have a vision, continue to build the business and, and grow the business because it's it remains exciting over time, even though it's it's tiring typically for an entrepreneur and founder. But but over time, you know, the challenges get get a lot more exciting, and the and the um, the outcome, uh, the impact that you have on society is, is 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 very different. So so that's I'd say the one the one advice that I would give to entrepreneurs that are listening here to the uh, to to this podcast.
0: I see. So only thing left for me is saying thank you very much for the interview. It was a pleasure having you as guest and everybody who would like to learn more, they can go down here in the show notes. There's a link to your LinkedIn profile as well as to the company's website.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Joel. And thank you to the audience for listening.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. Bye-bye. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is startuprad.eo, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to
1: startuprad.eo podcast. Or check for the startuprad.eo internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the startuprad.eo skill as well.